Be free, it's the Bee Cast with Amber Miller, Sarah Godey, and Monica Steely. For more resources and information related to today's episode, please visit www.bestillbefree.com. Hello, and welcome to the Bee Cast. My name is Amber Miller. I'm here today with Monica Steely. Hi. And Sarah Godey. Hello. We're very excited to be here with you today. We are on week three of our series, Be Bold and Conquer. Week one, we um, talked about some personal stories, some things that we've experienced in our own lives in, on the subject of being bold and conquering. And last week, we were privileged to have our friend Mandy Summers come and share her story of um, sexual abuse and how we can help uh, those around us uh, start experiencing some healing. Um, so anyway, today we are really excited. We have a special guest with us. Um, Anne Purcell is here joining us in the studio today. Her husband, Colonel Purcell, served in the Korean War, and in 1967 he was sent to Vietnam. While he was in Vietnam, Colonel Purcell was captured and held prisoner until 1973 when he was released. From the loss of a child to five years of imprisonment with no communication with one another, Ben and Ann Purcell embody what it means to be bold and conquer. Colonel Purcell was all around an incredible human being, and I had the privilege of knowing uh, the Purcell family my whole life. Sadly, Ben passed away April of last year at 85 years old, but we are extremely honored and privileged to have his wife, Ann Purcell, here with us today to tell us their story. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ann. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate the opportunity. To we be love here. having you here. So um, we, wanted, we just want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about yours and Ben's story. And um, could you tell us what happened on February 8th? 1968. Well, my husband was aboard a helicopter in Vietnam as a, as a passenger, not a, a pilot or anything, and he had gone forward to deliver some, uh, I believe it was radios, to a unit that needed them. And on the way back, their helicopter was hit with ground fire, and they had the gasoline tank was hit right behind where Ben was sitting, and the pilot had to land the helicopter hurriedly because it was burning. And they all got out of the helicopter and jumped in a... They were in a cemetery where Mm. they had Mm. clipped the wings off of a big, tall monument that was there so that it would stop spinning. And they jumped into a big foxhole that happened to be, or some kind of a hole that was near there, and they were immediately surrounded by... um, about six or eight men, and they surrendered. Mm. It was either surrender or get killed, and so they decided that the the six men that were aboard the helicopter decided that they would surrender, and so they did. Their boots were taken from them. The shoestrings from the boots were used to tie their thumbs together behind their back, and then another rope rope up around their elbows Mm. and they were marched off it was late in the afternoon and they were marched off into the jungle how how long were they walking without boots they walked well every bit of the time that they were walking except uh, until they were put into a a actual prison 
camp, they were barefooted. And, um, but they were finally given tennis shoes at first, I think, and then um, because Ben escaped, then they later just gave him like flip-flops that were made out <laughs> they of They didn't a, want to give him anything he could run in. So he couldn't run, yeah. And I guess they kept him in, in barefooted so they couldn't mm-hmm. run very far. And Ben's feet actually ended up getting um, almost infected or something to the point where he had to be carried. Is that right? Yes, he was carried part of the way. And then there were two Filipinos who had been captured mm-hmm. because they were working with the Americans. And one of them may have been a pair of boots made out of a toe sack. Mm-hmm. And, and that helped him some to walk. Of course, you couldn't walk forever in those because they would tear up yeah absolutely but as they were marched out into the jungle that night there was a young 19 year old um, man with them he was a refrigeration mechanic Mm -hmm. and so he had gone back into the burning helicopter to get his rifle and his flight suit caught on fire and he was burned around the face and hands Mm -hmm. before they could get him out get him on the ground and put the fire out and um <clears throat> when sometime during the night they came to a canal and they were put in uh Ben and this young man James George were put in the same sandpan together as they traveled through the canal the young man said colonel are you a christian and my husband said yes and this young 19 year old man said let's have a prayer mm. and so that's how they started their uh their years of mm. being a POW. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. What uh, ended up happening to Private George? Well, the next morning, whenever the sun came up, uh, Private, none of them could see very well at night how to walk. And Private George said, I can't see to walk. He, ben said his face was swollen and his eyes were swollen. And so the enemy made him sit down by the trail and Ben knelt down and asked him to please get help for him and um, the Viet Cong said "Uh, you're no longer in charge you just go on up the trail but Ben knelt with him and he said they had the Lord's Prayer together Mm -hmm. and then they put a rifle against Ben's skull and said go and so he had to leave the young man there and he said about 500 yards up the trail all the the Five, other five of them heard a gunshot, and we've not heard anything from Private George since, and evidently he was executed. Mm. So terrible. He, uh, Colonel Purcell had um, just unbelievable things that happened over in Vietnam. What happened when he got to the first uh, prison? Well, he was not too happy to be uh, confined, and so he decided that he would escape. And he uh, watched the the routine of the guards, so he kind of knew when they would come around. And um, he had a guard that was good to him. And this is something one of our deacons, I remember one Wednesday night, this deacon said in prayer meeting, he said, Lord, let Ben's guards be good to him. And he did have a guard that was good to him. Mm. The guard brought him a small nail and asked him to engrave something on a bracelet that he had 
gotten somewhere. And I don't know if it was made from some kind of uh, shells or, mm-hmm. or just what, gun shells. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Ben saved the nail, and he would take the bread. They'd get French bread to eat in the mornings, and he would take that French bread and um, crush it around the top of the nail to make a handle out of it. And then he used that nail to uh, drill holes around the door. It had a wooden panel. It didn't have metal around Mm -hmm. it. And he got a panel out of the door. And one night, um, December the 7th, 1968, he went through that door. He had a prayer, he said, and went through the door because the guard was not supposed to be coming around at that time. Mm -hmm. And he was hoping there was not a change and he got out of the cell, and he got all the way into Hanoi, and his plan was to uh, go to the French consulate Mm -hmm. and ask for political asylum. Well, on the way into the city, a man stopped and asked him if he'd like a ride on the back of his bicycle, and so Ben said yes and got on the bicycle, but the man stopped at the precinct police station mm-hmm. so he was rearrested he was mm-hmm. arrested and put back in prison tell us a little bit about when um your side of the story when you found how did you find out that ben was missing in action and what what were you told well it was a monday night and i was in a church service at our church it was a community service and as i started out the the back of the church to the parking lot and by the nursery to pick up two of the children. My pastor and um, Major Jim Statler and Jim's wife Bonnie were standing there, and of course they had worked with Jim had worked with Ben, where he had been just before he went to Vietnam, and. It was a long walk down that hall. That hall's not that long, but it was a long hall mm-hmm. that night because I knew they had something to tell me that mm-hmm. I probably didn't want to hear. And when I got to them, my pastor said, Ann, would you step into my study? And there in the study, Jim said, Ann, Ben's missing in action. Now, before Ben went to Vietnam, we had talked about him being injured or killed, but we never thought about POW or MIA. And um, my first thought was, oh, if I just didn't have the children, maybe I could handle this. Mm. And then the pastor said, let's pray. And he prayed for us and whatever we faced in the future. Because missing in action, you don't really know anything. Yeah. And he was missing in action for 13 months. And during that time, the children and I moved from Boonville, Missouri to Columbus, Georgia. And that was because I kept saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? We had planned to stay in Boonville. We had already been there four years, and we planned to wait for Ben there for the year he was to be gone. And um, now this changed everything. And I really wanted closer home. Yeah. Talked about going to my home, my, where my mom lived and Ben's mother lived in the same town. And, but I kept asking God, what do you want me to do? And one day during prayer time, God told me, go to Columbus, Georgia, and wait. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew without a doubt, and I don't doubt it now, that was exactly what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so we moved when school was out in the summertime of 1968 to Columbus, Georgia. That was 210 miles from my mother's house. <laughs> but it was far enough away that I think if I had gone back to where Ben's mother was and my mother was, I might not have been, I might have given too much of things that I needed to do. I might have depended on them. And I I know God needed me in Columbus. And um, so that's where we moved, and that's where we waited for Ben for Mm -hmm. an unknown length of time at that point. Uh, But um, 13 months after he was reported missing in action, um, I got a call, I got um, my assistant officer who was in the military, came to me, called and said, may I come out? And I said, sure. And then he handed me a little piece of paper, and it was the first day of spring of 1969. And um, on the paper it said, your husband's status is being changed to POW because a Viet Cong soldier has been captured, and on him were the interrogation papers of all the men, Mm. and we're changing your husband's status to POW but we don't know now whether he's dead or alive but we know he was captured the only thing it changed at that point for me was I could write to him Mm. twice a month and I could send a package every other month and the the hospital would give me all the kind of medications at Fort Benning that they thought that maybe would be beneficial Mm -hmm. and I could put those in the package and I put other things that I thought, if he got his special candy, his special chewing gum, uh, pictures, because, you know, the styles changed. They, men's uh, hair got long and the girls' dresses mm-hmm. got short. All the things that changed. <laughs> and I didn't want him to have a cultural shock. <laughs> he did, though. I'm sure, yeah. He never got any of the packages, and he never got any of the letters. Were they sent back to you? The packages, the first package was, right. first one or two packages, but then after the one I sent at Christmas time never came back, but the letters never came back. So while Ben was um, in, he was in the first prison and he had tried to escape, was it after his first escape attempt that he was placed in solitary confinement? Yes. They put him in stocks for a length of time and uh, would only let him up once. I think it was once a day to mm. go to the, uh, mm. to use the bucket that was bucket. in the yeah. cell, which was his. How big was his cell that he or, was, how large was his cell that he was placed in, in the stocks? Oh, it was very small. The first one, uh, the next one that after they moved him later, his, it was, it was bigger than the first cell, but I think it was just big enough for a, a wooden bed he didn't have a mattress. It was just a wooden slat bed. Mm-hmm. He did have a, a, I believe it was two blankets, and he would roll one up to make a pillow, mm-hmm. and then he'd put the other over him and, of course, just slept in. They gave him, they took their uniforms. I don't know what they did with the uniforms, and they took their watches and rings and everything. They did pencils, pens, billfolds, and, and so they didn't have any pictures or anything like that, or in his case now. Probably some of the other men were treated differently. Uh, I guess it just depended on the camp commander as mm. to how much they did to them and how bad they treated them. Yeah. Well, they thought that he was 
um, CIA? CIA? Was it CIA? Cause so even though he had told them he wasn't. Well, they had his rank and everything right. on his uniform when he was right. captured. and uh, But, you know, they probably, no right. one trusted anyone anyway, right. so they just didn't know. And, and one time, um, a man next to him had told the enemy that Ben was a general. <laughs> and um, then he would write Ben a note and slip it to him and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Ben said, what did you, what are what you, did you do? For? Yeah. And he said, yeah, I had told them you were a general. And in, his, in that young man's interrogation, he had told them that. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe, I don't know if he just told them that. I don't know why. But right. So um, ben, Ben's wedding ring was taken from him. Uh, what did he do in response to that? Well, the first ring he made, he made it out. Of, they did give him a, a toothbrush, and um, he broke it after about three or four months and melted it enough to make him a ring. And then I believe they took that from him, and he later made one that he wore when he came home mm. uh, out of bamboo. Wow. And he, he, he raveled. They had these pajama-type uh, clothes and they raveled the he raveled some of the thread and made a little um, x in the blue and white thread and made a little x in the ring and he had that on when he came home but i had bought him a new wedding ring (laughs) that's wonderful so um ben was uh had to deal with something that I don't think any of us have ever experienced, which is solitary confinement. How was he able to handle that kind of situation? Well, I think his age had a great deal to do with it. He was 40 years old when he was captured, and um, he had a rock to stand on already. And he he would um, name all the cars that he to keep his mind going. He'd go over... <clears throat> the cars that he had bought and and whether he lost money on them or, or not. <laughs> and uh, then he would uh, name all the dogs he could think of. Then he would name his friends and he would put them in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And then he would, and people that he had known mm-hmm. in the military. And then he said later on in the night he'd think of another name so he'd have to go back and put it oh my in, you know, and name them all over again. Mm. He exercised in the in the cell, uh, would run a little as far as it wasn't yeah. very far that he had to run, but he did all that. He had a routine that he carried out every day, and that helped him. Tell me um, about the handshake. One day... Um, he was there was a little space under his door and one day someone threw a piece of candy under the door and of course that was a big deal mm-hmm. yeah and in, in the environment he lived in so he um <clears throat> and and also they brushed they were sweeping the the hallway if, if the prison cell was a big long hall with cells on either side mm. all the way down and this whoever this person was he thought it might have been a trustee prison prisoner swept the dirt under Ben's door and Ben swept it back out thought he had made a mistake and the person swept it back under the door <clears throat> and Ben just stuck his hand up and then the man stuck his hand under the door 
in, in a gesture of friendship. Mm. And Ben shook his hand, and he said he did not, had not realized until that moment how much he had missed a handshake of another mm. person. How because. long at that point had he been in solitary confinement? Mm, I imagine it had been about at least three years, maybe four. Yeah. Mm. That is unbelievable. Can you imagine how? And we him? don't even think about that. No. Yeah. I mean, how important mm-hmm. that is, or a hug. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell us about Ben's last escape attempt. Well, he, again, watched the guards. And in this cell, it was larger, and he had a little separate uh, area of the cell that had a big tank, big tank built up and steps so he could get up and, and dip into that was his water tank. Mm. Right across from there was another little high place where he could use the bathroom. I don't mm. know why they built him up so high, but anyway, <laughs> you could get up there and you could dip here and flush here. And um, so he decided to make a dummy out of one of his pajama sets. And he made a little dummy and hung it up above the the uh, latrine. And he had a, um, a bucket that he put the uniform on, and he put a little hole in the bucket and filled it with water. And, of course, he plugged the hole up until he was ready to leave. And when the guard brought his dinner that night, he he saved some of it. So when he got out on the trail, he'd have something to eat. Then he said he pulled the plug out of Charlie. Charlie. And Charlie, sure, Charlie was doing his, his thing. His business. <laughs> his business. And because Ben had trained the guard, whenever ben, whenever the guard brought the dinner dishes, Ben would always be in the latrine. And he, the guard thought he was that night. <laughs> and everything was fine. Ben's neighbor told him that everything was fine until the next morning. Mm-hmm. And then when they came in and he was not there, well, they left the, they left the door open so Ben could go out into the little caged-up area in front of him, in front of his cell. So all he had to do was crawl up the wall and go through the barbed wire. And he had noticed when he first went in the, that particular camp that um, he could get under the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a real hard thing to do. So he got out and was gone about 24 hours, but then they, they recaptured him. He, he thought he was close mm-hmm. into Hanoi, but he was much, much further up into the mountains near China. Right. So um, the next, was it the next morning? That the he, next, well, the, two, no, it, two mornings later. It was 24 hours. It okay. was the next evening. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That he had gotten away for that long and yeah. fooled the guards. He um, is a strong man to be able to put up with all of that and to still, after all of those years, continue to try and escape and get out. And um, how? what would you say, if Ben could tell us today, what was his driving factor that kept him going this whole time? I think it was his love of family and caring and wanting to come home. He said there was a point that he, early on, that he just thought it'd be better just to not live through it. And he said that didn't last long. (laughs) Good for him. He had a wife and five children at home, and, and I think it was 
that one factor and also his faith in God. Mm. And he, he, he had the hope that he would come home. If he had given up hope, mm. he probably wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. I now, loved in the book how he would mention what would get him. Like he almost needed to be able to plan a second escape because it gave him so much hope the first time. Oh, yes. That it, that's what gave him so much hope the second time. Mm-hmm. And he just felt like each time he's getting closer and closer to that. Um, and, I, and his resourcefulness was just unbelievable. Was so inspiring, and that, he, and both of you, I can't wait to talk about your perspective here in a minute. But your unwillingness to truly ever really give in to giving up right. was so inspiring yeah. to me because he had also avoided, I guess, for lack of better terminology, or escaped two previous opportunities for death because he was supposed to be in the Korean War. Wasn't he supposed to be on a helicopter that ended up going down? Two different times. And then there was another time that somebody took his... And both of those times, the the helicopter had crashed. And then only to have this happen. Just amazing story. Mm -hmm. This episode will be continued next week. Tune in to hear more from Ann Purcell. Thank you for listening to the Beecast. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Be Still Be Free. And of course, check out our website, www.bestillbefree.com.